Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, all right. So, um, the, the reason that we're doing this is, is something amazing is happening at River Valley. Uh, we are about, you're like, what are we about at River Valley? Well, let me tell you, we're about reaching, helping, and connecting people to Jesus. And so that's what we're about. And, and uh, it's working. So uh, God is doing amazing things. Our normal lowest attendance month of the year is uh, July. People travel, people on vacations. You know, if you're not from here, you go back to where you're from, those type of things. We, we expect that. But this year during July, uh, we grew in attendance. So, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we're between low weeks, 150 more than we were a year ago. Some weeks as high as 400 more than we were a year ago. And so God is doing amazing, amazing things at River Valley. And uh, it's the summer. And so we are greatly anticipating in the next few weeks watching new people come in and give their lives to Christ and, and all uh, what that means. And so as I was praying through what that looks like, okay, well, where in the Bible do, do, do you have a group of people that are expecting God to do something, and, and what did they do in that, that interim moment? And so I want to preach today out of jo- uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is this transition moment in the life of the church. Jesus has uh, fulfilled his ministry. He's lived a sinless, perfect life. He's died on the cross. He's been crucified, buried, and resurrected, and he's ascended into heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, the church is going to take his ministry to, uh, to the nations. But in Acts chapter 1 is this transition moment where he's like, okay, Jesus is done, and then the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the church is about to move forward, but there's a transition. What did they do during this moment? Because we know that as school comes back into session, we know that people get back in, into a routine, that we're going to see new people come. And what do we need to do, and how can we learn from this passage how to prepare for the movement of God? So Acts chapter 1, uh, we're going to do this three times. So the first is um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. So the, the, the writer is Luke, and he says, I wrote this first narrative. I wrote the first narrative. That's the book of Luke, Theophilus. That's who he's writing to. About all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he starts out with a synopsis of his last book, which is the book of Luke, and he reminds them of all that he did. And he, re- he wants them to have that foundation. And the first thing that they did was remember the ministry of Jesus. Listen, I love to see new people. I love for our church to be growing. I love to see the baptisms that we're going to talk in a little bit. I love new songs like what we sing today. I love it. But all of it, that's not what we're about. We're not about that. Those are means so that none of us ever, ever forget 
that we always remember the ministry of Jesus Christ because he is alive and well. We remember all that God has done. We never want to walk away from the fact that the perfect sinless son of God came off of the throne and lived his life on earth, that walked among us, that he was crucified on behalf of our sins. And the Bible says he suffered for us. And we know that because afterwards it says, we just read, he presented it himself. See, Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, he presented himself to people. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. They touched him. He was not an apparition. He was physically resurrected from the dead. And he said, we presented himself. And then he says this great statement, Acts. He says, by many convincing proofs. In other words, if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity, I'm not asking you to, to join a mythology. I'm not asking you to suspend belief. I'm not asking you to be like, okay, I got to kind of check my, my thoughts at the door, my brain at the door in order to become a Christian. Jesus is truly alive. It is a real, true story. He is alive and resurrected. And the Bible says there's many convincing proofs. So let me give you a few today to show you. Now, these are the proofs. This is what's called the minimal facts of the resurrection. In other words, even believers believe this, obviously, but even non-believers believe this. Even non-Christians of the day of which this happened believe these facts about the resurrection. So here they are. Number one, that Jesus was crucified. Jesus was a real person who lived in the time of the Romans, and the Romans crucified him. Even the non-believers, even the Romans acknowledged Jesus' existence. He is not a myth or a legend. He was a real person who lived on the earth uh, and was crucified. Uh, during that time. So Jesus is absolutely alive. This is not only proved by the New Testament, but ancient historians like Josephus and Tacitus, they all talked about Jesus. He was a real person. He was crucified. Number two, all people, or all people believe that Jesus appeared to others after his crucifixion. Now think about that for a second. Jesus was crucified and dead, and then all of them agree he appeared to people afterwards. Now, we say it's because he was resurrected from the dead. Non-believers don't believe that, but they do say he appeared. They just say, let us give you another explanation. They put him, they beat him with a cat of nine tails 39 times. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head. Then they nailed nails into his hands and his feet, of which he was up there for hours in the hot sun agonizing. Then they stuck a spear into his side, and they took him off the tomb. But non-believers will say he was almost dead, but then they put him into the tomb for a few days with no food, no water, and no one to help him. And he got better, and after the third day, he was like feel great. I mean, this is, just, I mean, I just, this is, whoo, you should really try that, that cold cave. It's great. All right, it's, it's ridiculous. We believe in the resurrection, but everyone agrees. He appeared to other people. He was crucified and he appeared to other people. Number three, the convincing proof is the conversion of the lost. During the time of Jesus, there were people that were violently opposed to Jesus. Paul is persecuting Christians. He's violently opposing Jesus, yet he, he uh, meets the resurrected Christ. He's converted. James is the brother of Jesus, and at one point in his ministry, comes and tries to get Jesus to go home to go to the special hospital for the help he needs. Uh, he, he believed he was crazy, yet after the crucifixion, James is converted, and when James writes his letter in the New Testament, he doesn't say, James, 
yeah, I'm the brother of Jesus. He never mentions that at all. He says, James, a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was converted. There were priests who were converted, who gave up their identity and their religion. All of these people met the resurrected Christ. It is a convincing proof of the gospel. Number four, there's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. Not only did Jesus appear from the dead, but there's an empty tomb that was guarded by soldiers. So the empty tomb proves that there's not a body somewhere that they could find and produce. Jesus was alive. There is not an empty body. And if you were going to make up the resurrection, you wouldn't have done it the way the New Testament did. Because the, the convincing proof of the resurrection that the, the, the tomb was empty, it was attested to by women. In this cultural day, you would never, you couldn't have a woman own land. You couldn't have a woman work. You couldn't have a woman who uh, testified in court. No matter what she saw, she was not validated as a citizen in this culture. Yet the New Testament, in all of the Gospels, it's the women who testify that they had, uh, that there was an empty tomb, that Jesus was alive. It's a convincing proof. The last one, number five, is that people suffered and died for this story. If you're going to make up a story, when they start torturing you, and when they start taking away everything that you have, you'd give up the truth. All of them suffered greatly for their faith, and not one single person ever recanted. They had seen Jesus alive. He truly, truly is alive. And we never want to walk away. We never want to uh, not remember the fact of who Jesus is and what he has done among us. And so today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in doing that. But in doing that, I want to, I want to give you a word uh, that the Lord gave me this week. This is an anniversary. This season right here, this, this last month of, of summer is an anniversary. 25 years ago, I preached my first revival. Anybody grew up in church, remember revivals? Man, you'd have special meetings Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, you know. Uh, my first revival was a tent revival, and uh, so I got to preach in a tent. It was a big deal, man. I was so, so excited. At our church at that time, there was a, a, a man there that had taken, he and his wife had taken my wife and I under their wing. They were wonderful, godly people. Their last name was Clayton, Mr. and Mrs. Clayton. Um, they, they had been collecting change for I don't know how long. They gave us one time a, a, a gallon baggie of change, and we converted that to money and went to a, a date. I remember, I mean, in college, that's a big deal. Olive Garden, super special, uh, right? I mean, yeah, it was great. I mean, they were wonderful, godly people. I saw Mr. Clayton before I preached my first revival, and he had tears in his face. I mean, just streaming down his face. I was like, Mr. Clayton, what's wrong? This is a man who had lived for 50 years, over five decades for Jesus Christ, and was within two years of his own death. He's now been in heaven for over two decades. But he was crying. And I said, Mr. Clayton, what is wrong? He said, I have a word from the Lord for you. I listened to that. Because he knew Jesus Christ, and he walked with him. And this is the word that he gave me that I want to give to you today. This is Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. He said, the harvest has passed. The summer has ended, but we have not been saved. And Mr. Clayton said, you tell them, Cody. You tell them. It was the end of the summer. He said, you tell them that the summer's passed. Don't let this be your testimony. 
When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't walk away. Don't say some other day, or maybe I'll think about it, or some other time. He said, you t-, and with tears in his face, he said, you tell them that don't let this be their testimony, that they can walk away today in new life in Christ. And I have lived with that for 50 years. He was two years away from his own death, and he's testifying to you today, 25 years later, as he has lived all of these decades now in heaven. Don't let the summer end and say, I've not been saved. Don't do that. There are convincing proofs. We're not asking you to check your brain at the door. We're asking you to follow the evidence of the God of the universe who came off of a throne, who walked among us, who was crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended. We never forget this story. I'm going to invite you right where you are to bow your heads. And before we take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. Don't let the summer end with your salvation not being secured. Jesus suffered, we just read. He was, he was beaten, he was bruised, he was bloodied and battered. Yet he came alive on the third day after his crucifixion. And today, if you've never asked him, if you believe in that story, if you see the convincing proofs, then today, would you give your life to Christ as Lord? That means complete leader of your life. He gets what you think, where you go, how you speak, how you spend, what you do. Jesus, you get it all. Today, if you would like, you can ask Christ to come into your life, right where you are. Be my Lord, Jesus. Ask him, forgive my sins through your crucifixion. Tell him that you believe that he was raised from the dead. And ask him humbly to give you eternal life, and he will. He promises. Father, thank you for salvation. Amen. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as you get the bread, if you are a believer in Christ, even if you just became a believer in Christ, we invite you to celebrate with us today. The bread is a picture of the crucifixion of Jesus, that his body was broken for us. He suffered. His body was broken so that we could forgive the sin of the world. God, thank you for your suffering for us. The Bible says in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant and this covenant is the forgiveness of of sin. And we look at it and we think, the Bible says, though your sins are as scarlet, the color of this, they can be as white as snow. Jesus forgave us our sins through his death on the cross, and Jesus overcame all through the convincing proofs of the resurrection. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. So number one today, we remember who Christ is and what he has done. Number two, Acts chapter one, beginning in verse four. While Jesus was still with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Circle that word, wait. The second thing they did was they waited. He said, why are they waiting? He said, which he said, you've heard this promise about. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has set for his own authority. But you're waiting, verse 8, this is why you're waiting. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The second thing that they did was they waited for the work of the Lord. Now, I don't like preaching waiting. I don't do good with wait. How many of you are with me? All right, you do not do good with wait, all right? And so, in fact, you're looking at your clock right now going, how much time do we have left, all right? So, I, I get it, man, wait. And he says, look, I don't want you to plan. I don't want you to do a bunch of stuff. Look, I want you to wait so that the supernatural movement of God will be so strong that you will be my witnesses. And people go, what, what's going on? Hey, what, what's going on? You've got to wait on the Lord. You cannot plan his movement. You cannot procure it through certain things. You can't make sure it happens. You wait humbly on the Lord and you say, Lord, without you, without the movement of the Holy Spirit among us, we cannot do anything. And so we wait on God's word. We wait on God's work in our life. And what are we waiting for? He says, I want you, first of all, he says, you're baptized with water. We have seen tremendous, tremendous baptisms this year. Up until, the, up until 2023, the most that we had ever baptized in River Valley in one single year is 62. This year, just through this day, we're only in August. This year, we have already baptized 87 people uh, at River Valley. Yeah. And if you were not at the river last week, let me show you the picture of what we did last week.
Yeah. Last week was the, that was the largest baptism that we've ever had at River Valley. 40 people uh, getting baptized in one Sunday. So man, God is doing amazing things. And he says, okay, you've been baptized. He said, but I want you now to wait because I want you to have the power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the Holy Spirit had not come upon all people and believers like he does in our day. As soon as you become a believer, the Bible says he comes and he seals you. But he's talking to the church here and he said, I want you to have the power of God. The, the, the worst thing that we could be known for here is good preaching or fun music or cool children's programming or nice buildings. Anyone can do those things. We want the power of God. We want God to move so much that, that it's despite our preaching, that it's uh, even though the, the buildings are what they are, or even though we're, we're always looking for more volunteers in children's ministry, the power of God is moving in such a way that we cannot explain. In fact, we're witnesses to it. A witness says, let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what's going on. I want you to have the kind of community where people go, you go to River Valley, what's going on over there? Man, what is happening? How? And you say, let me tell you what God is doing. He's doing so many amazing and wonderful things of, of bringing people to faith in Jesus. I uh, got to watch this week. If you've not seen it, it's a really, really uh, good movie and, and historically very accurate. Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix right now. So uh, you can watch it on Netflix. But it's the story uh, of the Jesus Revolution, late 1960 and, and uh, early 1970, uh, particularly a church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And so Calvary Chapel, uh, it really and truly is an amazing story of God. This little church was running like 20 people. And all of a sudden, they became open to different types of people coming in and hearing the gospel. And you and I do church the way we do church at River Valley, largely based on the movement of God in 1970 in California. Let me give you some examples. First of all, they said, you can come just as you are. They were open to the hippies of the day. You can wear what you wear and just come on to church. Now, some of you need to be really honest with us right now and confess you wore bell-bottom bell, uh, uh, bell jeans. Raise your hand. Nice. Oh, nice. Give them a hand. Nice. You are welcome here. Pull them out of the closet. <laughs> Come as you, like, wear what you wear. Clothing is not optional at River Valley, but what type of clothing is, all right? So just, just come and be comfortable. I love, I love this about our church. I love this about the time that I get to minister. I hate dressing up. I hate it. I absolutely hate dressing up. I only buy clothes when my wife makes me or she brings some home. I mean, I just, I don't want to dress up. I, mean, I got a free t-shirt today. You can too next week. And the, we, we do this because of the hippie movement of the 70s. That they would let people, up until this point, you had to get dressed up. You had to get dressed up to be invited to church. I knew one man one time that got saved. And somebody, uh, his sister actually invited him to church. He said, I can't go. I don't have the right kind of clothes. She showed up the next day with a suit. And he got saved because he wore the suit to church. We want to skip that step and say, just come. Just, just come as you are. And we have that because of that movement. 
Another type, uh, another thing that we have is, uh, this is a picture of their band. They were called Love Song. That is a good-looking group of men right there, isn't it? And so they were pioneers in the early uh, Christian contemporary music scene and uh, had several hits and actually went and toured. Uh, groups like Petra came out of this period, if you're familiar with that. Groups like Larry Osborne, if you're the father of, of, of rock and roll, Christian rock and roll. And so all of a sudden what was happening was, was not only can you come the way that you are, but you can come and listen to the kind of music you like to listen to. And we're going to change the lyrics to be God-honoring, but we're going to keep the beat and the melody the way that you are. Now listen, this wasn't new. This was new to this generation. This has happened through revivals throughout centuries. A hundred years before, new song was super invented by allowing drums and guitars and a bass guitar into their worship center. There was a man who was super inventive. His name was D.L. Moody. He had a music pastor named Ira Sankey, and people hated Ira Sankey. They had, the church people hated Ira Sankey because when they had revivals, Ira Sankey had the gall in a church service to play an organ. He played an organ, and people were like, how could you bring an organ into the church? Because in those days, organ music was only played in bars. And so he brought the organ into the church, and it was brand new. Well, they brought guitars into the church, and I'm so thankful for that. Man, this is the way I like to worship. This is my style of worship. Now, I hope I'm mature enough when it changes that I'll be, I will be willing to change my style for the next generation. Because let's be honest, there is a, at least a possibility that one of these days, instead of a band, we're going to have a DJ up there. All right, that's it. Like, you know, you're like, I mean, that is it, you know, and it, it might not be my style, but man, it is the, you know, it's music that is used to win lost people to Christ. And so, so we, we have that. Another thing. Uh, that we have from this era is the way we preach. What I try to do, and you know, you can judge its effectiveness, I try to be able to communicate so that you've never been to church, I can take you from where you are and introduce you to the Bible. Up until this time, you had to have a pretty good understanding of the Bible in order to go to church and understand the sermon because you had to know some things. They would illustrate the, their, their text with other Bible stories. And so they would say, well, this kind of reminds me of Jonah. And everybody would be like, yeah. And the, the lost guy would be like, I, I don't know who that is. I don't know that story. We've had this at River Valley. Very uh, first or second year we were, we were uh, in existence, I was preaching through the Old Testament, through the book of Genesis. And I was preaching about Joseph. Now, if you know Joseph, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It's this lineage of the, of the patriarchs of the faith. Then I was preaching about Joseph. He does all of these great things, great story. Well, I broke from that because it, we got to Christmas time. So I needed to preach the Christmas story, which happens thousands of years after the, the story of Joseph. But the very next week, I'm preaching about Mary and Joseph having a baby named Jesus. And so this guy comes up to the lobby out there and he goes, I am confused. I mean, I mean, like, was this guy, like, how old was this guy? How old was Jesus' dad? I mean, you know, he's way back in Genesis. Here he is in Matthew having a baby. He's got to be like 5,000 years old. He's like a miracle. And they're like, no, 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 there's two Josephs. He's like, that actually makes a lot more sense. All right, there you go. And so, so you, have to, you have to find people where they are. And we, we want to do that at River Valley. We want to bring you along so that you understand the Bible in all of those ways. One of my favorite um, scenes in this Jesus Revolution 
uh, movie is uh, the, the pastor, Chuck Smith, is talking to his wife. And, and he says, there's just so many voices. Now, think about it. You've moved your church from a suit, organ, choir, nice carpet church to, I mean, instantly to hippies, dressing down, uh, you know, rock and roll music in the 70s in church is radical. He had major, major pushback from his own church and from others. And all of a sudden he said, there's so many voices. And his wife says, you know what? She said, the truth is always the quietest voice. She said, it's the lies who le yell the loudest. And he says, it's so complicated. And he says, no. His wife says, no, it's not. The truth is always simple. We wait on the Lord. Why? Because we want to watch him move in such power that we're able to say, did you know that Calvary Chapel, that before this movement, they were running about 20 on a Sunday morning. In one year's time, they baptized over 2,000 people. They baptized. That's amazing. I mean, that is unbelievable. I want to be the type of person that Greg Laurie, who's a pastor in our day, is like in that story. And I don't want to do history. And I don't say, back in, God's, back in 1970, he did a great work in Costa Mesa, California. Instead, what I want to say is, hey, God is doing a great work in 2023 in Bastrop, Texas. You ought to come and see. We have to wait. We have to let God move. We can't program or organize this. We have to completely depend on him. And the Bible says, they say, all right, well, what about the end time stuff? We, we, let's talk about that. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. He's saying, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted in a couple of months or maybe a year from now when all you're thinking about is who you're going to vote for for office. And that's all you're consuming thought. Don't get distracted. Man, focus on who Jesus is and what he's done. He is the hope of the world. And we will wait on him. Number three, verse 14. We'll remember what he did. We'll wait on him. And then number three, verse 14. They were all continually united together in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were united in prayer together. We're going to pray together. I've been asked, uh, I think, twice this week. Okay, why do you think all this stuff is happening at River Valley? There's a couple of practical reasons. One practical reason is the, the, the building that you're in. When we were over there, we were running four services. It was cram-packed. Really and truly, we couldn't run anymore. I used to say, I'll run six services. You know, as many as it take. I'd be like, I'll run seven services. And my body, my body was like, no, you won't. Uh, I mean, really and truly. Like, it was, it was physically exhausting. Uh, and so we, we built this building. Now we've got growing room. Now we've got uh, children's space. We've got parking. We've got so much more. So that, it's, it's, it's a physical thing that, that, that we needed. Also, one of the things that's happening is you have an amazing staff. You have a staff that works hard unto the Lord. You have a staff that is super smart and intelligent. They could go do something else and make a lot more money. But they are called by God, and they are serving Him well. And every one of our ministries is experiencing phenomenal growth, great leadership. I'm so pleased with our staff. Another thing that, that we have going for us is we have some money. You guys are good givers. It takes money to reach people for Jesus Christ. It does. All of the things that you see cost, and you are generous givers, and it has enabled us to reach more people, to reach the people just like we gave before you came. You're giving so that those who are next, those are all important, and those are all real. 
But the one thing that I would attribute, if I had to do one thing, it was back in January, the Lord told me, and we started talking about it, and we started practicing it, was prayer. We are more and more praying as a church, in church together. And we are seeing God move in some extraordinary ways. The very first time we prayed, you remember, we had three people scheduled to be baptized for baptism. And we started praying, and that weekend, we baptized 21 people because God moved in our, in our students during Disciple Now. It was an impact weekend. It was tremendous. It was incredible. They were praying together. And so that's how we're going to end today. We're going to be praying for different groups and for different people. And then we're just going to be dismissed. So that's, that's all that, that is, it is during this time. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, we're going to pray along the lines of what they were, where they were. And I'm just going to pray for some transition points in different people's uh, lives. Most, I'm going to ask you for humility. Uh, it worked really well in the first service. So uh, if, if it represents you, who, what I call out, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're just going to, we're just going to pray for it for you. And so uh, the very first thing that is transitioning this week is school is starting back. We're transitioning to school. I look at the educators in the room and they are frowning. I look at the parents in the room, they're smiling. All right, so, so we're, on, we're on both sides of the issue on this one, right? <laughs> but, but before our students go back to school, I want to remind you of the godly people who are already there. I want to remind you of the administration and the staff. I want to remind you of the teachers, the people who are on school boards, the people who uh, are uh, feeding our children lunch, people who are driving our children buses. They are from our church, and they are going out as missionaries. So if you are connected with school in any capacity, would you stand so that we, we can pray for you during this time? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, stand up. All, all our teachers, all our principals, all our staff. And I want you to pray. And I want you to pray that the Bible says uh, all of the prayers that we see in the Bible are out loud prayers. And so I want you to, I'm just going to lead you in prayers and I want you to pray. Look around at the people. Man, aren't you thankful that God is in your school? I'm so thankful for you guys. I am so thankful for, for the, the representation of Jesus. So pray for them right now. Pray first that God would fill them. Pray for grace. You know, 50 years ago, teachers were expected to educate. We are, we are changing as a society. More and more teachers are expected to parent. Teachers are expected to teach life lessons and skills, not just educate. Teachers, it is a hard job. They are busy. They eat standing up. Pray for them. Pray for grace. Pray that your children and those like them would, would encounter people like this, that they would bring God into their midst. Pray this morning for our children in the children's area that they, they're popping up today. They're going to the next grade level. Pray for our children's ministry. Our student ministry is beginning on Wednesday night. Pray that they would have great teachers this year and connections. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for not the, the workers in education that are in front of me, but for the missionaries that you are sending out. God, I praise you for them. Fill them with your spirit for their calling in Jesus' name.
You guys may be seated. If you're a parent and your children are going back off to school, I'm, I'm standing for this one. My, my son is in college, but I'm sending him back to school. If you're a parent and your children are going back to school, we want you to stand. We're going to pray for you and for the children that you represent. So parents, stand up. If you have a child that's going off to school, a lot of us here. Let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for this year in faith. God, we thank you for the godly influences. Thank God for their friends. Thank God for the people that they will meet that will lead them towards Jesus. Pray for that. Pray for these parents. Pray for the children that they represent, that they would be growing in their faith that their education would be vibrant and alive. Lord Jesus, I pray over this group of people and the children that they represent. Today, God, would you fill them with your spirit? Today, God, would you have them be wonderful parents leading their children? God, we trust in you as we leave our children at a, at a place of education that you would provide good, wonderful, godly leadership, friends around them that would bring them to Jesus. We love you. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you're in a transition relationally, if you are dating, if you are engaged, if you are recently married, I want you to stand and we want to pray for you. Stand up. Dating, engaged, married. Good for you. Good. Good. Nice. Awesome. Let's pray. Pray for their relationships. Pray for those that you see. God, pray that they would, that they would um, bring holiness into their relationships. Holiness doesn't mean we don't sin. Holiness means we bring in the love of Jesus Christ that keeps us from all sin because he's better. Pray for those who are dating. That they, The Bible says we need wisdom from God, and we can ask, is this the person that is a is a, a wise choice in marriage pray for those who are uh, recently are going to be married pray for that that you know that first period we call the honeymoon period pray for it to be wonderful and fulfilling bring them together Lord, we are a church that celebrates this. You say you have brought them together and the two become one. Thank you for these who are dating. Give them wisdom, engaged for those that are married. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. Now I'm going to pray one big transition prayer for all of you. Some of you are new to River Valley. Some of you are new to Bastrop or new to Christianity. Some of you uh, have a transition in your life. You're going from having preschoolers at home to having school-age children. You're like me. You're transitioning from having children at home to uh, being an empty nester. Some of you have recently transitioned and you are retired. There's there's transition moments in your life, and, and I might not have even suggested that, but this is a super important time in your life because you decide on the next trajectory of your life. And if you don't decide well, the world will just put all these demands on you and they'll decide for you. So if you're going through a transition like that or anything else that you know of in your life, I want you to stand and we want to pray for you.
You're transitioning. You're new to River Valley. You're new to a job. You're new to retirement. You're new to any kind of transition. Good. Good. If you're like, it kind of fits me, it's okay to stand. All right, we, we love you. We want to pray for you. Let's pray for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom and decisions in this new period. Pray that they wouldn't rely on yesterday and how they acted and just kind of get through it that way. Pray that they'd have new insight into the way that the Lord wants them to act, think, and speak. Pray that they would see clearly the vision of their life and the vision of this season. Jesus, we praise you today. For you are there when we make decisions. You are there to lead and direct us. And I pray over those who are in a transition point in their life. Help them to follow you well, Jesus. Amen. Maybe seated. We're going to pray for some spiritual transitions. If you're new to Christianity, if you're checking out church, if you're just recently accepted Christ, if you've been baptized recently, if you've made a major decision to kind of come back to Christ after a period of time, we want to pray for you. Stand. Let's, let's pray for you. If you're, you're new to Christianity, you've recently been baptized, good. Anybody? Just a few is awesome because they they're like, I get a lot of prayer. It's all right. <laughs> good. Anybody else? Anybody else? Good. Let's pray for them. Pray for these who are new in their faith or new in a spiritual decision. It's a lot of change. Pray that God would envelop them. Pray that they would be like John the Baptist. Jesus would become greater. They would become less. Pray that God would give them wisdom in the next step. Pray for us as a church that we would support and help. Jesus, thank you for those who are making decisions to follow you. Amen. Maybe seated. Now, we're all going to pray for this one. So we're going to pray uh, at a focal point. So I need one volunteer is willing to come up and stand here, right here, and have everyone look at them and pray. Good. Come on. There you go. All right. Now. Here's what you represent, Scott. Just look at them. All of us have a friend. All of us have a coworker. All of us have a neighbor. All of us are burdened for someone that we are praying, God, I want them to be here and in the midst of what you are doing. God, I want to see them sitting in this seat in a couple of weeks. I want to see them in a month in the baptism because they've, got, they've gotten saved. I want to have a phone call from them in two months. And going. I was reading scripture. What does this mean? Man, God's doing some amazing things. I want to see them out front serving a few months after that and welcoming people. God, I want you to move in this person's life. All of us have that. All of us have that burden of someone that we want to see saved and connected. And I want you to focus right now and pray for that person. Pray for them by name. As you look at Scott, you just pray, God, use, may he represent who they are. Bring them to the faith of Jesus. God, bring them to salvation. God, part of the reason I'm burdened is, is the, 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 
junk and the sin in their life, maybe. Pray, God, take that away from them and replace it with your goodness. God, don't let them just become church members. Let them have a radical salvation experience. Jesus, we praise you in faith for what you're about to do in this person's life. Amen. Thank you, man. Last one. I want us all to stand. We'll be dismissed with this. The Bible says you will, re- you will re- uh, receive the Holy Spirit and you will have power to be my witnesses. And so I want us to pray right now. Pray, God, send your revival. Send your Holy Spirit to this place. We sang it earlier. God, we want to see the power of God move. They prayed for it in Acts chapter 1, and they saw it in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people get saved in a single day. Then a few chapters over, it's 5,000. And then it's 5,000 families. And then some priests get saved. And then it spreads throughout the entire Roman world. Pray, God, do that here. Start and send your, God, send your Holy Spirit here. We don't want to be historians of the past. We want to be witnesses of what God's doing right now. Ask Him. Ask God for yourself. God, would you give me a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit? You have the Holy Spirit if you are saved. But there are times in our lives where God just shows up fresh and new. Ask Him that He would do that in your life. Give Him permission. Before you know what He's going to do, God, I I just want your work in my life. Praise God in faith for Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God moves. Praise God in faith as if we are already seeing that happen. As if we are not suggesting that you move to the front, that we are making you because we're out of room. (laughs) As if baptisms are happening because they're getting saved that fast. You are seeing God's movement and you are witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. May it be so for your glory, Jesus. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.